Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Antler Up podcast brought to you by Tethered, the world's best saddle hunting equipment, and we have a fun show for you all today. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We're on episode 193, and this one we're calling The Secret Sauce with Tony Peterson. It's always a great time to catch up with Tony over an episode, and it's no secret that Tony is a big fan of hunting early season whitetail. There are many factors that come into play for Tony, and we get into this discussion on what to key in on to have success during the early season time frame. And really to begin this episode, we hear Tony share some fun upcoming hunts he has in store with his daughters and really some specific goals that he hopes they can achieve together this season. And speaking of goals, Tony has a specific goal for himself, and that is killing a buck in some cattail slews with the muzzleloader. So really cool, fun discussion regarding this. And really we get into some life lessons about hunting and separating stress from producing and getting back to really enjoying the hunt and more discussions about this. When the season begins to wear you down and beat you up, Tony shares some things that can get yourself right and off that struggle bus. The main meat and potatoes, though, of this episode is hunting early October and the rules to finding success right now. Be sure to check Tony out over on the Wired to Hunt podcast and his great articles over on meateater.com. So enjoy this fun episode. We'll see you next week. We'll actually see you this Friday for the Antler Up Report. So be sure you are checking that out. We're going to have a fun one uh, with a fun discussion on that one. So thanks again, everybody. Hope uh, you have a great start of the season. Finally, for myself this week, finally when this airs, I will finally have been able to get out at least one of these uh, evenings after school. This past weekend on opening day, I did not get a chance to get out. So wish you nothing but the best of luck, those of you that are listening to this and for all that support. If you like what you hear, please go leave that five-star review over on iTunes and write something that really helps me out. It helps continue to make this grow. And if there's something that you want to hear or someone you would like to hear from, please reach out to me. I would be more than happy to reach out to an individual to get them on and have a specific discussion, as well as if you want to come on and do just do a quick chat on the Antler Up Report that will air every other Friday right now. So thanks again, everybody. Enjoy this episode with Tony Antler Up. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tether produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. 
America's best bowstring strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. And a special code is made for our listeners of the Antler Up podcast for America's Best Bowstrings. Use code ANTLERUP and you will save $10 off your order. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You have deer prediction, journaling, and the best maps on any hunting app platform there is. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20% off your Spartan Forge membership at spartanforge.ai. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm joined by none other than Tony Peterson. Tony, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me, bud. Oh, I appreciate you. And you know, it's been been an honor to share some text messages with you over the last like year and a half, two years that, that since the last time you've been on the podcast and seeing the things that you do really look up to, uh, you know, what, what you do and, and as a father, as a hunter and just individual. So it's, uh, always a pleasure to, uh, to have you on and, and, and get a chance to talk Tony. So, you know, we just shared off air. Things are heating up for, for us as we're getting ready to go uh, here on the whitetail thing. You know, the season's right around the corner when the podcast requests and everything starts bumping up. So it's it's that good good sense, though, because the season is here, basically. Yeah, man, you know, the summer's so weird. You go into it, and it's like time to fish and maybe shoot a little bit. And, you know, you kind of get, get some cameras out and start thinking about stuff. And then it's like just bam. Like all of a sudden, you're like, okay, it's three weeks, two weeks, one week. And you have, it feels, I, I do this to myself every year, no matter how, how prepared I think I am, I, I get into panic mode a little bit right in the preseason. And then you get into it and you just, I don't know, you figure, you it, figure out. it out. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you figure it out. It's funny though, because the individuals that have those early season hunts, I mean, you're sitting there like, Oh, okay. It's this, it's this. And then you actually count out your days. You're like, Oh crap. I need to leave in 13 days or whatever and you you go through that mental checklist like i still need to do this 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 and then for individuals that put a lot of effort into your home state you're like oh crap i still got to do mock scrapes or i got to do you know last minute camera checks before i don't want to go in there anymore all that type of stuff so it it does come at you quick and sometimes it's like oh like a uh you know brick upside the head basically yeah it it Every and it seems like every year it just happens faster. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you know, you know how this is like, and all of a sudden, you when you have kids, you're like, life just flies by, <laughs> things change, yeah. it just goes faster and faster and faster, and uh, it catches up to you. But you know, it, it also forces you a little bit to try to get some stuff done, you know, like not wait till the last minute, yeah, and 
I feel like I'm slowly becoming a more responsible adult that way <laughs> when it comes to haunting. Oh man, it's so funny. I, I, <clears throat> so we were sharing some some information with our with the new students uh, today at school, and we we're doing like a get to know you. And I had this worksheet, and I was like, you know, I, I better fill this this out uh, as well, just to maybe you know let some students talk. I'll give a couple of my answers and let more students talk. So one of the things were the questions was you know, your bucket list, like what are three things on your bucket list? And some students just had some really awesome ideas of things they want to do. And I just started laughing. I just said, you know, what's so funny is I'm that individual that I really don't have that desire to travel outside the country. Like people that want to travel Europe and do all that stuff, more power to you. That's fantastic. Go after it. I'm not a big ride seeker as far as roller coasters or skydiving, no desire to do that. And I, one of my, 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 uh, bucket list was own a cabin in Montana, own a, uh, like a limitless budgetless home gym. I have a nice home gym now and, and being a health phys ed teacher. So I'd, you know, all that stuff. And then my third one was now I teach at the high school that's located outside of Penn state university. So it's very diverse. You know, we, we, I got rural, rural kids and a lot of kids that still are our outdoors and hunters and all that stuff. And I go, <clears throat> Dream of mine is to shoot a 170 uh, class buck with my bow in Iowa when I finally pull that tag, you know, as, as a bucket list. And one kid was like, yeah, <laughs> he's all, I was like, all right, buddy, we're going to get along this year. This is going to be great. Do you have kids in in that class that have no idea what that meant? Oh, uh, more, maj- yeah. I would say about 89, 95% of them easily. Yeah. 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 But hey, it, it is what it is. They'll, when they get me for phys ed, they'll uh, go through the, Maybe if they get stuck with me, I guess you could kind of say when we do our selection, the archery unit, and I just, Tony, I'd nerd the heck out. I'm just like, <laughs> they're like, oh my gosh, like, what are you saying, Mr. Dinsmore? They're they're probably ready to jump out of the, the classroom, but then they enjoy it because then they're shooting and they're shooting a lot. Like they didn't realize how good they could end up being. And, cause, you know, they're, they're learning the skill basically from ground up. So, you know, it yeah. takes, it takes a couple classes. You got some arrow flyers going into the net and all that type of stuff. And then the then it hits the big target, man. But Tony, you were talking about, you know, being a, a better adult, that slow process, talking about family. What What's going on for you and the girls this year? Are, do you have, do they have any goals for hunting for whitetail this year? Or, you know, do you have goals for them? I guess you could even say, Oh man, we have goals. Uh, you know, this is, we're working real hard to have this be the first year where they both get bucks. They both, they've both killed bucks, but not in the same year. Uh, so that's a that's a big goal. And then my one daughter and I, we drew bear tags in Wisconsin. Oh, nice. And so that is a big project. And that's that's why I'm not going elk hunting. That's why I'm not going out west this year, because that is a you know, it if if you have to bait them, which is what you're doing over there, it's such a commitment. Yeah. You know, like you you really it's a couple hours to get over there, a couple hours to get back. And you know, you, we have we have some big bears coming in, and so you know, you can put 10 gallons of bait out and you might have one bear come in and it's pretty much cleaned out in one night. And so if there isn't that consistency there, you know, you're, they're not going to just keep coming back. They'll, they'll swing downwind and check it. And so it's a, it's a weird hunt. And I don't know if you've ever done it before, but it's yeah. like, it's just a, it's a heavy lift on the front end. And, you know, the hunting doesn't really do it for me that much. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited for my daughter and, you know, I have a tag. I might shoot one. I might not, I don't know, but I just love that process of, 
of you know doing the work on the front end and so that's that's a big one for us is trying to get her a bear that's pretty cool and then how about for yourself for this year any any specific goal that you are really want to hammer home you know i my my schedule the last two years with meat eater has been kind of kind of screwed up my a lot of my public land hunts and a lot of the stuff that i really like to do because i had to save some tags and you know, film and whatever. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this year I'm kind of, I I do still have to film quite a bit, but I'm like, I got to go, I got to go get out on some public land and do this. And so I'm going to, it sounds like I'm going to do maybe a week in uh, Oklahoma. I'm going to do probably a week in North Dakota. I've got some stuff going on in Wisconsin that I'm, I'm working on for to shoot a, shoot a deer on public. And then I'm going to, I, you know, I, I try to knock out one thing a year that I just like, you know, how, you know how it is where you have stuff in the back of your head. You're like, I always wanted to go try this, or I always want to go do this. And where I like to pheasant hunt in Southern Minnesota, we jump deer all the time. And, you know, it's a late season kind of deal. And, you know, last year I hunted a couple days for our one week in November series down there. Uh, but it was, I was too early. Okay. You know, I saw some deer, but it just, it wasn't right. And so I told my buddy this year, I'm like, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to try to shoot a good buck on public land in one of those cattail sloughs with a muzzleloader. And, you know, maybe, maybe do that in the mornings and the evenings, take the dogs out for a few hours in the middle of the day, but just, just stuff like that. Like there's, there's just things that I just want to, I want to do, and they might not be like the best chance to kill a big one. Uh, but for whatever reason, they kind of get their hooks in me and I got to go try it. Yeah. So that's pretty I have cool. a, I have kind of a uh, weird year this year, you know. Well, and, you know, one of the things that I think about with this is, you know, if you take a state like Minnesota, the the habitat is so diverse. Depending, you know, southeastern corner, it's kind of bluffy, deciduous forest. Where I live here in the central part of the state by the cities, you know, there's a billion people. It's cattail sloughs. There's no hills. You know, they get up north and you're in the big woods. Out west, you're sort of prairie-ish pothole. And the more I look at the opportunities that are kind of going away for non-residents out there, you know, some of those states that we thought you were just going to be able to go to and buy an over-the-counter tag forever, that stuff's going away. Yeah. And so now I'm looking at, like, where can I find some kind of cool little adventure hunt to do in my home state? Or you know, just find these opportunities that probably aren't going to go away because we're dealing with that reality. And so that's that's sort of a motivator behind some of the stuff I'm going to do this year too. Yeah. Speaking on that, I've known some people that did not draw even like an Iowa tag with five, with five points. Like that's, that's crazy, you know? And and, I mean, depending on what unit and, you know, that's, so you think about it, you pull that maybe with five points and with individuals that trying to figure out and they're racking up points, man, it it could be seven years, seven plus years till for individuals to get back to that one state for, for whitetail, which man, that's, that's a long time. Yeah, it's not gonna get better. <laughs> that's that's you know, what I didn't. I didn't draw Iowa this year either. I didn't. I didn't have great odds where I applied and the point numbers I had. But it was in just a couple of years ago. I drew there with the amount of points I had, and so you know, it, there's creep going on all over. And you know, some of those southern units that are real popular. You know, you draw now or next year or the year after, you you are looking at probably seven, eight, nine years before you're going to get back to that unit. Wow, that's crazy. Let me ask you this, Tony. Let's go kind of something a little bit different. Um, what's maybe like a one life lesson outside of hunting that maybe plays a role in the way you actually hunt or you maybe plan your hunts? 
Man, I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound like a total prick because there's a lot of people out there pushing this message. But when I, when I quit drinking and I started working out, I realized how important discipline is Mm -hmm. not, you know, everybody thinks motivation is the thing. Like they look at somebody who runs marathons or whatever, like, Oh, they're motivated. It's like, Nope, they're disciplined. Mm -hmm. And in hunting, if you're disciplined, you will do well. Like if you, if you're going to get up and you're going to go and you're going to get those stands set up and you're going to do that scouting and you're going to, you know, winter scout and do whatever, all of that stuff. There's, there's always an excuse to not do it. You know, and hunters love excuses to not go into the woods and uh, we're going to stay out. We're going to be conservative, whatever, man, for most people's positions, like their situations, you're better off doing the work. Like you're better off getting out there and figuring stuff out and spending more time there at the risk of maybe blowing some deer out or, or whatever than you are to just be like, I'm going to play it safe. Like somebody who's managing a sweet property somewhere. And so much of it is just discipline. Like a lot of the stuff we do, we don't, we don't talk about this very much, but you know, all summer long hanging stands and running cameras and scouting and setting blinds. It's, it's work. Like it's not, it's a little bit of fun. Like you feel good doing it kind of like when you go for a long run, like it's not that much fun. Like I I never, I'm going to go run right after this and it's 98 degrees outside. I'm not looking forward to it. Like it's going to (laughs) suck, but I know when I get done, it'll make me feel better. And I feel the same way when I have the right blind set up for my daughters or I, if, if a camera, you know, positioning or something's bothering me, I'm just like, go, go do it. Or, you know, if I, if I have to shoot, like, you know, you don't have to shoot, but if you're sitting there thinking like I should go shoot 15, 20, 30 arrows, the discipline to just go do that stuff. I just think it's really important. Take the guesswork out of building your own arrows for this upcoming season by ordering a custom set of arrows from Exodus outdoor gear. They have developed and sourced literally the most precise archery components on earth to build a tailored arrow for your hunting adventures. Just head over to Exodus's website and plug in your specifications in the arrow builder and have your custom set sent straight to your door. You have two arrows to choose from, one being the MMT arrow, which is a 246 diameter shaft, and the new NIS, which is a 204 diameter shaft arrow. Use code AU to save 15% off your tailored arrow order at exodusoutdoorgear.com. I couldn't agree more, and I think that falls in line with discipline with being prepared for the season as far as like making sure you're shooting your bow, you're trying out whatever gear, like you, the last thing that a hunter or you as an individual want to do is have your, you know, if you're you filming your hunts for the first time or this year, this is like an exaggeration, but you don't want that camera set up to be the third time that you've done it. Right. Like if you've practiced it once yeah. or twice and over the summer or whatever, and be like, Oh, okay, I got it. Trust me. You don't want that. And that was the first thing four, four years ago when I got into saddle hunting, I practiced so much just so that way, like day one, when it came to game time decisions and, and when it really mattered, actually, it was okay. Get in here quietly. Like, okay, sure. I could get up a tree and do all that stuff, but can you do it quietly? So, I mean, it's that discipline and it kind of goes with when you were saying like those examples too, it, it was earlier in the late spring, early summer, certain individuals, when we would talk on the podcast, we were talking about like following your gut 
for certain situations for the hunting season, right? Man, you just have that, you just have that sixth sense, right? And you go in there and usually for the most part, either success happens or you at least learn something to, for more success down the line. And that is also that discipline goes into that because in order to, to do X, Y, and Z to be successful, you have to be disciplined enough to go and do it. And that's, I really like that. I, that's a really good way to look at it as far as saying the motivation slash versus the, you know, the whole discipline thing. And I, like you said, I know a lot of people that are extremely talented at whatever they do, hunting, non-hunting things. That word discipline is actually one I think is very, speaks volumes and really blows up basically, but it's not very said. It's not said often, if that makes sense. Yeah. It will. It's until you get into a position where you feel like you are pretty disciplined. It's just easy to look at it like this abstract concept that doesn't, you know, it belongs to somebody else. So there has to be a different reason for somebody getting it done and you not getting it done. You know, so people would look at a guy like Andy May and they'd be like, well, he's just motivated to scout all the time. You hang, if you spend a little time with Andy, you're like, he's just one disciplined dude, man. Yeah. <laughs> like he just is. And it, it's the secret sauce. And like you said, with a, uh, you know, getting really comfortable with a saddle is a great example. You see people go into situations they're not very comfortable with. And now instead of making a decision around what are the deer doing, what's the sign showing me, like, what's my best chance to make this happen right now, given those parameters, now you've got this cloudy thing in your head where you're like, can I get up there quietly? Wouldn't it be easier to get into that tree? Should I just set up on the ground? That kind of stuff happens all the time. And you yeah. see it. I mean, one of the dumbest, simplest examples is, you know, I, I fish like crazy and I, I take a lot of people fishing and most people are comfortable ish with a spinning rod. Right. But if you get people who know how to throw a bait caster, they can cast better typically. And so you see a fish blow up and there's not, there's no thought around getting your, you know, your top water over it or whatever. It's just like, it just happens because they've been there, done that. And they've, they've worked on that. And you see people who aren't that comfortable with it. They're going to miss that wide left, right, left, right. Like Mm -hmm. too short, whatever. And it's just a, it's just like a, you gotta have that been there, done that thing. And the only way you can do it is by being there and doing it a lot. Yep. Yeah. And the more you do it, the more efficient you get at no matter what you do, right? You get more efficient with shooting your bow, climbing the tree, setting it up in your platform. I, you know, listening to from a, a podcast with Steve Shirk and, and Mark Kenyon on the Wired to Hunt podcast, it was, you know, Mark was giving Steve some scenario situations of what Steve would do. And Mark gave the question, you know, you, you are, you know, you're hunting and you're doing, uh, you're seeing deer, but somehow, you're not in it. Like, what would you do? Basically, it was something along those lines. And Steve gave that example. Oh man, like three day w- rule. Like Steve kind of talks about a three day window that he he was saying, and he's like, man, if where we, where he hunts and sees deer, it's usually not. There's not a lot, right? There might only be four doe within that X mile. So if you see a buck early in the morning, eighty yards, seventy five yards, doing something, and another little buck or something does the same thing you know, he said he would get down and go to that, right? We've talked about this on the podcast before, but man, you have a split window to do that. Steve even gave the example, man, you got to be ready to be there within like a minute and a half, right? So to get there quietly, be set up, not necessarily to be ready for for that situation a minute and a half, because that's damn near impossible, but to be able to do it efficiently, quietly, and 
you, you have to practice and you got to know what you're doing. Yeah. Well, and, and his example there, man, I, I believe so much that if you, if you're dealing with low density deer, if you're a big woods hunter up North or way down South and you don't have that kind of Iowa, you know, quantity of deer on the landscape, I think it makes you so much of a better hunter because we, you know, so many people, even though we talk a big game about mature bucks, really a lot of what we're doing is just trying to get around deer and see deer. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a place where there's a lot of deer, that's not that hard. And so you kind of, it's sort of, it can be like a failure to launch situation. You're like, well, I know I can go sit the edge of the beans and see deer, right? Like I know I can sit certain spots and I'm going to see something, but you might not be around the, the caliber of deer that you really are looking for. And when you hunt those big wood situations, like I, I feel this when I'm in Northern Wisconsin, I'm like, this is an education every time because you, you don't have, you know, and you have those little tiny concentrations and that, that real low density. So you, you, before you even start, you have to figure out where the few deer are and then you have to work them. And that's not that easy. It's a, <laughs> it's a great, it's a frustratingly great way to learn how to be a good hunter. Yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. So Let's, you know, the season's kicking off here, Tony. I, I would love for you to share some Tony Peterson wisdom here. You know, how do you, and I think this is an aspect that I took into the turkey woods this past spring. How do you separate the stress of quote unquote producing to just enjoy the hunt, enjoy the process that it all entails? <laughs> I guess, I guess you're assuming that I do separate it. Uh, yeah, man, it is, it kind of goes back to what we talked about right at the beginning with just being disciplined. So I'll, I'll give you an example. I, you know, kicking off the season, I have to film for five days in Minnesota and five days in Wisconsin back to back. One of them is just whitetails with me and a camera guy. And the other one is me taking my daughter deer hunting and turkey or deer hunting and bear hunting with a camera guy. And so I know I I've never, I've met the guy who's going to be filming one time for about two minutes. Seems like a good guy comes from the duck hunting world, not comfortable in tree stands, you know, like very, very little experience climbing up into trees, but we have to get into trees. And so I'm not going to ask him to saddle up. It's going to be a disaster. That's a tough way to film anyway, unless you really know what you're doing. Yep. So I've spent way more time than you'd probably guess setting up camera setups. So it's very comfortable, but I'm still in the places I want to be. And, you know, so that reduces your stress a little. If you know I'm going in here, there's a double hung set, there's a double lifeline that, you know, the trails are tacked or however I got to, I have to go about it. That, works filming and not filming. So it kind of, I, I have to do that for filming, but it feeds into just my fun hunts too. It's like, just if you have the opportunity to get this stuff set up, get it set up. Right. No question. And you know, you think about this, I, I think about this all the time when I'm taking my little girls hunting that those deers, they, they, those deer have to be 20 yards or less. They have to be relaxed we got to know they're coming. Like there's these, there's situations where I'm like, this is, this is where they'll get a high odd shot and they'll probably make it. So I have to do certain things to facilitate that. And it just teaches you just to take care of that stuff overall. 
Yeah. So, but I, I would say you could ask my wife and I don't manage the stress of filming. <laughs> I'm, I am not a natural filmer. Like I, I resisted it. You know, when I was at bow hunter, we, I fought with them all the time. Like a lot of people can't wait to put themselves on camera. Yeah. I'm not that guy. And I don't, you know, I, I come from a world where when that happened, it was almost always an outfitted hunt that you went on. And I just, I just didn't have the interest in it. And so I resisted it for a long time, but it's like just the way of the world, man. Like you can't, you're not going to make a living just writing articles. And so now I just have to accept it and try to make it as the, the least stressful I can make it. Yeah, I know. And then you throw in the, when things aren't going well, <laughs> right. Oh. Yeah. You know, when things are, aren't just, you know, where the heck are the deer or we got to get on and, you know, missed opportunities or whatever. Yeah. It, it, things can make uh for a stressful time. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, we're veering way off course here, but one of the reasons that if you look at like, you know, the hunting public, one of the reasons they've created so much good content and they've been so successful is they took good hunters and they handed them a camera and, and they work together. Like they're all invested in the same goal. And man, that's so important for doing this stuff. Yeah. I think too, the whole having someone share that pat, like the way those hunting public guys do it, just having that three man crew, right? Like one person's going around scouting while two other guys are, are hunting. One of them is obviously filming. If you're doing it solo, that sucker is tough, man. That is super tough. You said like for yourself, you're trying to film for even your daughter with the bear hunt and stuff in Wisconsin. Not only that, you have to make sure you're getting that content. You got to be a dad. (laughs) You got to make sure she's taking care of first and foremost. And then two, try to get her that position to kill that bear and then try to document it all, man. That's tough for, for, uh, in all worlds, uh, that I don't think a lot of people do. Dude, you you could do, I mean, we could probably do a series on just cameraman stories (laughs) and I've heard some good ones. Oh man, I, I I'll tell you one. Uh, I drew or I got invited to go hunt this place down in Illinois. Probably it was one of the first hunts I ever filmed. So probably like 2011 or something. This was when I, I was at Bow Hunter Magazine, and so I went down there for Bow Hunter TV, and I picked up my cameraman on the way down. And so I'm I'm six two. This dude's probably three inches taller than me and probably 300 pounds, and he's he's super nice guy he's since got out of filming he's i think he's a male nurse now actually but uh he was not wired to hunt (laughs) let me put it this way (laughs) and so we get we get on this hunt and you know it's like uh it's an outfitted deal it's during the rut and there's like 14 people in camp and a few of us from like the industry side and then a bunch of these rich dudes from new york just a weird deal but anyway the first stand that we get into and this dude's sitting over my shoulder and he looks at me and he goes i'm not gonna look for deer i'm not gonna see deer i'm gonna put my head down and he's like if you see a deer coming you tell me and i'll start filming and i kind of thought he was just messing with me right that whole trip i would look up at him and he would have his head down and he never saw a deer (laughs) like (laughs) he was he was not lying he's like i am collecting a paycheck and you do all the hunting and wow and it was uh the crappiest rainiest windiest miserable hor- most horrible yeah, it was it was rough we killed we ended up killing a buck just by pure luck came into a scrape but it was uh it was a rough week yeah 
Man. So let me ask you this kind of outside of like the filming thing and everything like that. Can you maybe think of a time or scenario or even at a future scenario, like when things are, you're on that struggle bus, what makes you slow down? What do you do maybe to slow down to recalibrate basically and ultimately maybe put yourself in that right position to, to be successful? I'm pretty, I'm pretty used to riding that struggle bus, to be honest <laughs> with you. It, it doesn't, it used to really bother me to, to eat a tag. Like if I went on a trip somewhere, okay. I just, I wanted to fill it. And, and I, I had an experience last year, I had a South Dakota whitetail tag and I went out and filmed for, I filmed for, I think five days with the guys from the element, didn't kill a buck, had a really good encounter with a good one right on the last night. And I had that tag sitting in my pocket and I was like, I got it. I just got to go back. There's, there was stuff I couldn't do and I wanted to do. And so I went back and I think I hunted another four days by myself and I had a really good encounter with like a one thirty. he busted me and I left it. And I, you know, I was like, I feel like I did everything I could. Like I felt just, I was content, you know? Right. And so I, I look at stuff like that now and I mean, it still gets to me sometimes if I'm struggling, but I, I try to get myself in a position where I don't, I like, I feel like I did everything I could. So I, I didn't sleep in, I went and checked a new spot. You know, if I'm hunting public land, especially like scouting midday to figure something out, if I feel like I put the work in and it just doesn't happen for me, I don't really care. What mm-hmm. bothers me is if I feel like I, I, like took the easy, easy way out somehow. Like if I was just like, I kind of sandbagged this day or I didn't, I didn't go do this thing. I knew I should that stuff bothers. Electrify escape and expand with PWR. Nothing will hold you back from finding adventure on your own terms, forge your own path to places. Others can't reach by car, by foot or using analog equipment. Electrify your adventure with PWR's unique e-powered adventure tools that are just as fun to ride as they are practical. Escape the ordinary methods of enjoying the outdoors that take you to the same old spots it seems everyone ends up. Expand your playground, push beyond your old limitations, and find a new comfort zone. Check out the brand new Rome scooter that comes equipped with 4-inch wide heavily treaded tires for maximum grip over loose and aggressive terrain. The 24-inch front wheel diameter makes easy work of rolling over roots, rocks, and other low obstacles in your path. Use code ANTLERUP750 for $750 off or ANTLERUP25 to save 25% off the site, excluding the Rome. So check out RidePWR.com and prepare for your next adventure. Right. Do you do you do any type of, instead of, if you're like, man, I just, I can't, I'm not, I don't know, like if you start having that, I can't get into it right now. Do you take that mental day of like, I might just go walk the woods. I might go scouting a little bit and put boots on the ground and go somewhere totally new. Do you do anything along those lines? Yeah, I do, but I, I'm usually hunting. Yeah. Um, you know, I will take, I will take some time and go hunt something else. Like if I'm, if I'm whitetail hunting and it's for whatever reason, I'm just, I, I'm starting to get a little bit frazzled. I'll go, I'll go duck hunt for a morning or something mm-hmm. sometimes like just to, just to reset and recalibrate a little bit. But I'm, I, I'm not at a place anymore where I have to do a lot of that stuff. Like I, I'm okay with not being very good a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm, I'm pretty used to just, you know, it, it, it's a weird thing. Cause, cause people look at this and they go, 
it seems like some people have success all, all the time. time. Right. You know, I mean, it seems like it's just like, cause you're just getting a highlight reel from people. But if you, if you look at us like on an individual basis, you're mostly failing most of the time. Correct. Andy may goes out there and he mostly fails most of the time. And so as long as you're just like putting in the effort, like what you don't want is that feeling of like, I'm sitting the same stand again and I have no faith they're going to come. You don't want that. Like you want to at least be trying to figure something out and do something new. And I, you know, kind of like kind of to your original point, you know, going down to this, do this uh, muzzleloader hunt that I'm going to do this year in December. That's part of that. Like that's just to like keep that fire going and just go try something that's probably going to whoop my butt. Like I'm probably not going to kill a big buck in those public land cattails right after the gun season ends. <laughs> I got to try it. And I, and I know it's, I feel the same way about the big woods in Northern Wisconsin. And I know I talk about this all the time, but I, I almost always get my butt kicked over there. But once in a while, you know, like you have that hunt where you see a giant or you kill a good one and you're like, it might be once every four seasons, but it's like just, a, it's enough motivation to keep that discipline going and just keep getting out there and feeling like you're trying to accomplish something. Yeah. I love that, man. So let's do this early October, you know, think about where you plan on being as far as those first couple, maybe first week, second week or end of September where you'll be hunting. What is your process to, you could start at ground zero. You could just say, this is where a meat eater wants me to be. Where, what's your process to get ready for this early October hunt? Dude, I, I like early October. I mean, I know a lot of people don't, but I like it, especially on public land. I, I like that time. You know, it, it depends. Obviously, different states have different openers. But if you take a state like Minnesota or Wisconsin that's a mid-September opener, mm-hmm. you get a little bit of a, a a breather from hunting pressure in the beginning of October. And, you know, like my best hunts in the northern, in the big woods of Wisconsin are always the first two weeks of October. And it's I firmly believe it's for this reason. So, you know, like this year, I, I'm in a little bit different place this year. I just picked up a place to hunt uh right by my house in the twin cities here. So I'm, I'm in the suburbs and I got 25 acres and I've got some stands up there and some cameras. And if I, I, I'm feeling pretty good about that. (laughs) Like I'm feeling like I really lucked into something pretty decent here. And I'm just so excited to have a place to hunt where I can get there in a, you know, seven, eight minute drive in the morning, come back, cook breakfast for my kids get them to school, whatever, and then go sit an afternoon. And I'm going to, I'm going to stack up some deer <laughs> this, this time frame. And it's, it's going to be, you know, if you, if you think back and this is so regional, right. But yep. as we got into like the end of August, there were so many acorns falling. There was so much soft mast around so many apples, grapes, plums, the food, it was everywhere. I mean, right. I saw this bear baiting. I saw this setting up for deer. And a lot of those natural food sources are so just here today, gone tomorrow, or, you know, here this week, gone the next. And that's another thing about the beginning of October that a lot of people kind of don't think about is there was a plethora of food out there at one point not long ago, and a lot of that stuff's been cleaned up. So even though seasonally it feels like it shouldn't be the easiest time to find a deer and it's not, you're starting to get into that situation with a little bit more limited food. You're starting to get into a situation where those scrapes 
really start to matter mm-hmm. as you as you bump into the first second week of October. So there's a good opportunity there, and that's that's what I'm going to be playing. Like that's that's the hand I'm going to be playing. What are maybe some? Uh, I like that. And that's heck. Even for us, that open like the whole state of Pennsylvania opens up that September 30th. But you know, you have that. Uh, what is it? Two weeks prior or the week prior is is when. Philadelphia, Pittsburgh are able to open up. So that little bit of, of time frame. But, you know, when you look at the month of October, we hear, you know, for how many plus years that October law we've heard about, uh, they go nocturnal and then, you know, where are they f- betting everything, the rut shift and all the, all these key things that were told happen and don't hunt mornings. You know, what, what are the, the Tony Peterson's uh, like three to five rules for hunting October? Uh, well, I always hunt. I always hunt. <laughs> I always hunt mornings. Um, if if I have a chance to go, I'm going to go. And this this is one of those things. You know, people we we have been handed so much advice from through from the hunting industry that comes from places that are just not that relatable. Right. And one of them is don't hunt the first couple weeks of October. Don't hunt the mornings in the early season. Wait, save your deer. Don't go in there. And it's like, if you have a situation where you can save your deer, great. Most of us don't. And, but, but that stuff trickles down. And I hear people say that all the time. Like, I'm not going to hunt now and maybe spook my deer. I'm like, do you really think (laughs) if you go hunt a morning on October 5th, you're affecting your rut chances a whole lot? Right. It's just an easy way to not go and pretend like you're doing something. And man, I, I think that's really important to acknowledge. I think it's really important to acknowledge that it's not that hard to find morning spots in the early season Two, people just are conditioned to not try. And I hear this, Mark and I had this conversation this morning, like there's so many different variables that can come into play that can allow you to get somewhere in the morning. So you have to be really honest about whether do you, do you have setups? Could you have done the work to have those setups? Like it's so easy to find evening spots and it it is more work to find morning spots, but it's worth it because it, I I look at that and go, Oh, okay. I could either hunt or not. Like if I do this work now, I can hunt in the mornings and maybe kill a buck or see one or get clued into something. I I just think, I think you got to be really careful about like industry wide excuses for not hunting. And I know I've said that a million times. Uh, the other thing, you know, for early October, it's just such a net benefit as far as having everybody believe that it's not going to be good. <laughs> yeah, It just is. I mean, if you're a public land hunter, it is such a benefit to you that most people believe they're going to not go kill a deer. So they're not going to go. Just like if you're a public land hunter and you're like, the rut is going to save me because all the bucks are going to be running around. Well, guess who's thinking that? every single hunter out there and so now you you take what should have been a crazy advantage the rut and you bring that sucker you level that way down because the pressure's out there and then you think okay well i have this seasonal timing thing that should suck there should not be very many deer moving whatever right but you level that advantage up because everybody believes that so if you're the one who's going to go there's a big difference Difference. there yeah so my experience i've had more more deer killed on morning, early, I will early morning and late morning sits than I have in it for evening sits. Like you said earlier, I'm for me personally, I'm getting out whenever I could get out. And if that means it's a Saturday morning or if it's only, you know, here in Pennsylvania, we're only given those three Sundays in November, 
man, if it's October, whatever, my only good day is to hunt that Saturday. You better believe I'm spending that whole day in there. And I used to, <laughs> one of the mistakes I would do is I'd be like, yep, okay, I'm only hunting until 9.30 a.m. And then I'm going to come home and hang out with my daughter, my wife for a little bit. And then I'm going to head back out. Where am I going to go hunt? Now they're totally, with my daughter being the age that she's at, my wife being as as so supportive, she's like, just stay out there and go scout and or go to a new new area where you plan on going in, in the evening and scout your way in, Jared, like things you talk about with people. I'm like, yeah, you're right, Heath. I should do that, <laughs> right? So yeah. it's it's just funny how how you learn and grow and develop, and um, you know. But for me personally, ah, man, I just nothing beats a morning hunt for me. I just I just freaking love it, no matter when it is and all that. Me too. And some something you said there that I think is so important is just hunting longer. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't know why it is. I just wrote about this, but for my early season morning hunts. You know, you, you think about it, if you do an uh, early season evening hunt on a field edge or whatever, well, the last one to come in is the one you want to shoot. You know, you're going to have the does and fawns come in first, the scrappers, whatever, and then last light, you know, you might have the big one. I have the reverse situation a lot of times in the mornings in the early season yes. where it'll be does come through or maybe that forky, and then like 9, 30, 10 o'clock, I'll see a really good one. Yep. And I just think there's a world happening out there in the cover that, you know, they're, they're getting off them fields early, but they're not just marching straight back to bed in the dark, you know, like they're, they're doing things. There's, you know, snarfing some acorns or whatever. And what I, what I started to do, you know, in the last probably, I don't know, I guess six, seven seasons is just sit as long as possible every time I can. And this started, you know, if you travel to hunt, this, I started doing this out in North Dakota because I'm like, okay, I can go back and I can, I can sweat in my tent in the middle of the day, you know, and sit around and kill time. Or I can just sit out here on this water tank an extra two hours. Like mm-hmm. I can eat my sandwich here or there. Right. And what I started to realize is like, man, I'm the more time you put in, as long as the wind isn't screwing you up, hasn't changed or something like that there's always a chance out there. And I, you know, this new place that I got permission on here, I found a big apple tree in there when I was walking through it with the landowner and underneath it looked like it had been rototilled. I mean, it's like, <laughs> Oh yeah. I, I was like, I walked up there and I saw this ring underneath this tree of dirt and I looked up and I'm like, Oh my God, like there, this is, this is wild. And so I, I hung a camera on it and the amount of daylight pictures of all kinds of deer in there it it was it's it like painted such a clear picture that there was such a value to those apples that those deer are sitting there in their beds a couple hundred yards away and they're going maybe some fell down and we better go look Mm -hmm. they come in they they make a little lap or two and then they leave and i had you know 130 inch bucks at noon when it's 95 degrees under that tree and it just opened my eyes i go that's not that's not that unique of a situation, I'll bet. I bet you can find that under certain oak trees. You know, I, I bet there's, you know, water sources you can find that on at certain times. And it's like, what if what if you put an extra two hours in mm-hmm. on the on the end of a morning hunt? What if you go out two hours earlier for your afternoon hunt? Like you're not you know, you're gonna spend more time in the woods and you right. might kill one. I mean, right. it's just it's such a simple solution, but again, talk you know, I, I've Dude, I was, I pulled a camera, uh, that I had over at a, at a, 
one of my buddies land in um, Wisconsin, I think two years ago I had it. Anyway, I was going through the photos and I left it up during October and then November all the way through the gun season over there. And it died on me in December. Okay. So I was just going through 4,000 pictures on there. And this, this buddy of mine is a, he's a really good spot and stalk hunter. Like he's, he's just got the right pace. Like he's, you take him out West, he figures it out. Like he's, mm -hmm. he's wired for that. He is not patient when it comes to sitting in a stand. Like he gets bored quick and he just has no faith. And I mean, day after day, I'd get him going in, coming out at like two hours into first light, you know, or two hours after first light and then deer moving. Yeah. And I told him that, and he, he doesn't really even believe it, but I'm just looking at that. And I go, if you would have just stayed an extra two hours every day, your entire rifle season over there would have looked vastly different. Correct. Yeah. And it's just such a, it's such a dumb lesson, but it's, it's poignant. Yeah. It's crazy when you think about that. So one of, what is the one thing that you look forward to in that early October, as far as like weather, that first cold front, anything that really jumps out where you're like, Hey, uh, I know where you said this, but I'm going to go in the woods, uh, this evening or this morning or anything that really that you love. The thing I, I, I don't. I don't wait for a cold front. I know a lot of people do. Yep. I, I try to have enough setups around water where I don't care. Yep. Uh, I, I'm going to hunt either way. The thing that I love, aside from just that's kind of my time to hunt with my daughters a lot, is I just, that's my time to shoot some does. Like okay. I, I get, you know, you, you start out the season and you're like, okay, I got some bucks scouted out. I don't really want to shoot a doe yet. And I get to that point, especially in a morning, if I have some time, I, I hunt hungry. Like I'm, if, if there's a doe coming down the trail, she's in trouble. <laughs> yep. And I love that. Cause then I, you know, that sets the tone for how I'm going to treat. Cause I'll, I'll shoot does during the rut too, or the late season or whatever. I don't really care that much, but if I can start filling up the freezer then and start getting toward my goal or whatever it is, I love going out like in a morning somewhere, you know, if I'm on acorns or I'm on some kind of travel road or something where I'm like, yeah, if a nice buck comes in, I'm going to shoot him. But also if a, if the doe gives me a right shot, I'm going to take it. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's a different thing than hunting. You know, when we, when we hunt for bucks, a lot of that's not that much fun mm -hmm. because if let's say you're, you're like, I want a three and a half or better. I want a 120 inch buck or better or whatever caliber it is. 130. Every deer that you see coming down the trail is almost always a little bit of a disappointment. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing. Like why I don't, I don't do like the hit list stuff. I don't, I'm not really a one buck hunter because right. I, it just bothers right. me. And I, I, you know, people do whatever you want, but I don't like that feeling of when a deer steps out, it's like, oh, it's not that buck, you know? And right. it, I know that people would argue that when that buck does step out, it makes it all worthwhile. It just doesn't work for me. And so I like, I like to hunt when I want to shoot things and I, the more op the more options i give myself the better that's why i like hunting oklahoma like mm -hmm. give me give me some a target rich environment when i'm hungry and i've got some space in my freezer and man it's time to have some fun <laughs> so <laughs> i love that how does pressure affect uh your your strategy when it comes to hunter pressure or for myself like i was saying earlier like we'll we'll be starting you know that first weekend of, of october you know and then from there it always seemed like those first two weekends uh, I've, I've encountered some pretty cool, pretty cool encounters. And then that, that first teen one, like 16th through the 18th, Tony, I've had some killer hunts 
over the last seven years um, with some really cool buck encounters. About four years ago, I had a dandy to come in. And it was around that 17th time frame. And But as far as like pressure goes in those first two two weekends or that first week, how does that dictate what, what you're going to maybe change? Well, first off, that that time frame of October is way underrated. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kind of think if you wanted to take a time to have a lot of fun and have a chance to kill a big one, like the 15th through the 25th of October is way underrated. Yeah. Uh, so much fun. Uh, as far as pressure, and like here, so, so here's the other thing, like to build upon, because I we hear that right, we hear the pressure, the pressure. But how the hell do you know? Unless you got like a trail camera at the at the you know trailhead or 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 wherever you're parking, you know, and like that's the one thing. Because the spot that I that's down the road for me, public land, you know, there's times where if if I would have gotten off early from work or I'm flying home from work, you know, I when I come in really no, no, no trucks. And then by the time I'm leaving, I have a couple other trucks driving by me or whatever like that. I'm like, okay, it was a little bit, a little bit heavy tonight or whatever. So like, how are you gauging that? How do you know? Or, and then again, going back to that original question, what what are you doing? Well, let me say this. When I hunt public land, pressure is 93% of what I'm thinking about. And we, again, this comes kind of comes from the hunting industry, right? We, mm-hmm. we think like, what's the, you know, what's the barometric pressure doing? What's the cold front, warm front? What's the weather like? Uh, what's the moon phase? What's the wind? You know, should the deer be doing this or that? Most of what I'm thinking about is where are the people not going to be? Right. You know, like, because that's, there's, there's nothing that overrides hunting pressure. It's like, it's your number one enemy out there. And so, I'm always like, I, and I think about this with grouse hunting. I think about it with pheasants, turkeys, everything I hunt out West. Where are the people not going to be? What are the people not going to do? You know, I mean, you think about it. And so it's always, for me, the, the first nine decisions I make at any point are based around who, who's probably coming in where, like where, like where are the accesses? Like where, where are the people going to be concentrated? What are they going to be doing? If it's, you know, that's, there's a difference between it being like the beginning of October versus, you know, a rut hunt because a rut hunt's going to actually be worse because there's going to be people out there and every one of them is going to be banging the antlers together and trying every trick in the book, you know, an October thing's going to be a little bit different. People are going to go in, they're probably still going to be riding kind of the, 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 the field edge type stand where it's like, where, where can I see, mm-hmm. like get me on some kind of food source I can see or some open Oak Ridge or something that I can look way down. So for me, it just tends to be like, where's the thick cover that I can slip into that for some reason is kind of hard to get to. Yeah. You know, I gotta climb some hills. I got to hike back in there. I got to cross a river. What do I have to do? This just like a little bit different. It's the same thing. Like, you know, I do a lot of grouse hunting. I don't know what percentage of people stay on logging roads and, you know, like, national forest trails, but I'll bet you it's probably like 85% of the grouse hunters. Yeah. Cause it's easy walking. You send your dogs in the cover on either side and you might get a flush over the road. You're not going to sweat too hard, but there's tons of limits of grouse out there on all those soft edges and the edges of the clear cuts and those edges of the swamps. If it's warm out, there's so many places the people really aren't going to go. So the first thing you got to do is like, 
where are those places for the whitetails? Then you work the deer. Right. You know, it's not like you don't work the deer first. You work that pressure first and go, how can I get away from them? And then when I find that concentration of deer, now how do I work them? Do I get right in there with them? Do I hang back and observe them? The same thing happens with elk a lot of times. Like most of the job you have as an elk hunter is just like, where the hell are, are they? they? <laughs> like, where, where are they? And then once you find them, it's like, now we need to make a plan now. Right. And you know, that's a little different because it's more of an in the moment thing typically than a whitetail. Right. But it's not that far off. No. And it's just, you got to be around them first and you got, and you're not going to be around a lot of them or a concentration of them until you get away from people. If you're in the market for finding a new trail camera, I highly encourage you to look no further than Exodus. Exodus has two main options to choose from as far as cameras go. A budget-friendly option that doesn't compromise quality. The Exodus Rival is the camera for you. Simplicity meets functionality in this easy-to-use, feature-rich cell camera. The Rival offers crystal clear photo quality, easy setup and use with complete remote management through the app anywhere in the world. Two already are set up in Northeastern PA for me, and they're working flawlessly. And if you're looking for an all-encompassing cell camera, seriously, look no further than the Render. It's their flagship camera. It stood the test of time for thousands of hunters across the country. I have one deployed here locally where I live and another one I'm saving for back in Northeastern PA. Again, zero issues. And I'll tell you what, Exodus stands by their five-year warranty for accidents or for theft top of the line customer service so see for yourself why so many made the switch to exodus and experience the exodus difference use code au to get 15 percent off your first camera today that heck that even applies to those early season whitetail hunts especially for out of state right if you're going to like here in northeast like there's a couple states nearby that are, are open open up early that if you don't have a chance to go down there and scout man you get down there with with your binos or spotting scope whatever you might be able to catch something in late in the evening and then you're like you boom i mean you have a little bit of time right to think about your plan for the next morning but you got to come up with it quick and dissect it and you know you're not going trampling through the field as they're eating that night so it's not like you could go walk in the woods and be like okay this is where i'm going to be tomorrow so you got to look out on a map and you know you got to make those tough decisions uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. And you, I mean, you have to think too, even talking early season like that, people will go, I'm going to, I am going to go sit that power line or I'm going to go sit that field edge, the clear cut, whatever, like a place I can see mm-hmm. because I know I probably should see some deer, even though that's kind of what everybody's doing. And it's like, but it's sort of an easy, it's an easy, easy. decision to make. Correct. But I look at that and go, if you're, if you're hunting public land, one of the ways that you can make this decision-making process easier is if you do a lot of winter scouting, pay attention to those funnels and pinch points. Like what, pay attention to those funnels, those little train traps that are in the cover. Cause we're like, Oh, those are the rut. That's where I'm going to sit during the rut. And that's a great, like, that's a great strategy, right? Like go sit in a high odd spot where they're going to come through. But if you start hanging cameras on those spots, those are year round, typically year round usage on them. Right. And so if you're like, I don't know what to do, you know, if I get into the cover, like maybe I find some sign and I set up here or there, if you don't know what to do and at least you go, I have that little Creek crossing that they always go through in that big tract of timber company land, or I have that just whatever kind of pinch point funnel type deal you're working with at the very least, if you can play the wind on something like that, you always have a chance and your chances get better when the pressure is on the outside edges and there's, there's 
a higher presence of people around. If that, if that terrain trap is in the cover, right. it's tight. That's those, the more of those that you can build up and you're like, you got those in the toolkit, man, the better off you be. Yeah. So funny story. If a uh, good, good friend, Tim is listening, he'll, he'll get a kick out of this story, Tony. So a couple of years ago, I went in, flew in after work for a late evening hunt and he had access to this one piece of property and he's like, Hey, it's butt up against public. You know, we could access the private side cause my friend allows us to, and we'll get, we'll hop on that public. We're like, okay, sweet. So we get in there, we kind of look at it. He had some camera Intel and I was hunting the next day where I usually go hunt back at home. And we just wanted to hang out together. We wanted to just get, get an evening sit. So we both climb up in our saddles. We're about 70 yards away. So we kind of had like, Hey, if a, if a deer comes from this way, I got the shot. If a deer comes from the other way, he'll have that opportunity. And we're set up and I'm watching. I could actually see him as he's climbing. Cause he got up a little bit higher than I did. And all of a sudden he gets settled and you hear something walking. I'm like, Holy crap. Like we, we might see a deer. And I, we kind of see the brush, like the thick stuff, like moving a little bit. Well, then all you hear is, and then you hear, I don't even know what the dough of the dough bleak can go. And, and then of course, all, then all of a sudden you hear Shh, like already blown a can of tinks. And Tony, this is, this is the second weekend, like the second Friday of October of our season here in Pennsylvania. And he, te- he, he calls me actually my good friend. He's like I said, seven, he goes, do you hear this and see this guy right now? I was like, yeah, I do. He goes, let's get down and get out of here. Like the guy literally, Tony was already doing his, his, his grunt calls already doing his dough bleeds and letting that dough estrus hit that, hit the, hit the wind, man. Crazy. He was, uh, he was all out. He jumped the gun a little bit. Yep. Yep. That, uh, yeah, that's uh rough. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, what do you do there? I remember, uh, I did a, I did a hunt in Texas one time and you know, everybody's hunting over automatic feeders down there, yep. you know, and so they're, they're all timed to go off, like goes off for like a half a minute in the morning and a half a minute at night. It only throws out like a cup of corn. So they got to fight over it kind of deal, but it's loud, you know, mm-hmm. spins, it's automatic, whatever. Well, I didn't, I I've never seen one, but they said they have a, there's like a handheld call. It's, it's a digital call that sounds like a feeder spinning. <laughs> and, so I was talking to the, this outfitter one time and I was like, I cannot believe that's real. And he said, we will have guys show up who will have fresh batteries in those suckers and they will wear them out in a sit. <laughs> and so, I mean, imagine, and it, you know, this is, this isn't public Pennsylvania hunting, no, right? right? I mean, th- right. this is, this is wow. high density deer coming in there. And, you know, deer come in there and check it all the time anyway, because that's their food source. You right, know, it's not, right. this isn't rocket science deer <laughs> hunting down there, but uh, probably that guy's cousin yeah. was doing that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I figured that'd be a good one when we were just talking pressure. So here's, here's something that I did last year. I want to see if you've ever done it. And it's kind of picking up a little bit in the social media world over the last couple months and everything. Have, have you, done a camera left out all year to see that fawn drop and correlate that to dating it back to the days like maybe when that doe was bred or anything along those lines to maybe when that doe would be in heat for that upcoming fall have you done anything like that 
Nope. No. So I don't, uh, if you gave me the chance to do that, I couldn't get the math right anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> like, I, I don't know if it was dumb luck. And, and, and to be completely honest, I, I think it was dumb luck. I did it. Um, so it would have been the, uh, so two springs ago, I left the camera out there, not for that specific reason, just because it's back at home two and a half hours away. I still had a pretty good amount of battery on there. And I was like, well, let me just let, let it run. Like it was my only one I still had as far as the cell camera goes. So it was only like a $6 charge a month. So it wasn't like breaking the bank. And I, I was like, oh, wow. Like dad, look at this first fawn drop. And, oh, you should probably date it back just to see. And I was like, okay. So I did. And I, messaged them and it's usually like back in northeast pa for whatever reason halloween is just on fire between he and i and a couple other good friends that hunt that area halloween tony if you're in the spot man like you're it's like better than the rut right so that year i was able to friday i, I uh we had off from school so it like worked out perfect like when it was going to be around that weekend basically and that that friday was kind of bogus and then the next day though, Tony, it, it was last year. It's now this past year that it ended for me. It's when I dated and hunted it. It was bananas. First light until that I saw about counting those, those four bucks, four, five, six, seven. I saw eight bucks total that day. So let me ask you this. Would you have not hunted if you didn't have that info? No, I would have hunted it a hundred percent. It's just like, it kind of worked out. Cause I was of like, course. you know, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's just, Halloween. <laughs> but, but now let me say this though. Here's what I noticed that Friday I was down a little bit, uh, two, two ridges, two ridge systems down. And as we were walking out that, that night, my dad and I, when we met on the two track trail, as we were walking up in my headlamp, um, there was a doe they, man, these deer love like being only like 20, 25 yards off of this two track. They'll just bed down in the thick laurel, just thick, nasty stuff. But th this doe gets up and she crosses ahead of us. And then I look, I'm like, Oh dad, look, there's a buck, a decent, like a really good buck. I would, I would have shot him every day of the week. And he just, he stayed with her and it wasn't like <clears throat> doing that young harassing her. And I said to him, he, cause I had a whole different plan for that next day. And I said to him, because he wasn't hunting with me the next day, and I go, I'm going to hunt here tomorrow. And he goes, okay. And then that's what I did, Tony. And that's like I said, it was so much fun. I mean, uh, so many opportunities that I, like one that I regret not taking the chance that I should have taken on a piebald, um, cool looking buck. But man, it was just such a fun day in there. And just going off of, like, hey, that was the weekend. It kind of correlated to that, uh, seeing that doe running for a life from four bucks. And it was just so funny how that worked as far as when they were running after her and just all in a straight line after, man. It was something I've never seen before, uh, especially that early in, in October. Yeah, you don't see that very often. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you get a doe around you like that, that's not very common no i mean yeah it's it, you can go most ruts and not get that right and i uh, didn't like november it was it was extremely quiet then yeah um what what what's interesting about that strategy is you know because when you say that new people are people are trying to get newborn fawns and then backdate it if you don't get like some kind of outlier like october 7th type date or something all it's really doing for you is just giving you more confidence. Yeah. 
You, you know, like, I yep. mean, because it, because it, it's not, I mean, is it actionable kind of, but you were going to hunt October or you're going to hunt, gonna hunt Halloween anyway, yep. you know, maybe, maybe where you were going to hunt would be different or something, but that kind of stuff is just like a nice trick to get you to keep going or yep. to, or to get you to, you know, like you're going to be in the game in a little bit different way. Like I, I've done this a couple of years over in Wisconsin on this little property I own. There's a corner of it that I just like, I, I haven't figured it out yet. Like it's just. I know they go through there. It's connected to a giant swamp. It's just a really kind of random. It's always felt very random. Right. But I've uh, two years I've left cameras out there and it is pretty random, but not big picture random. So on any given day, the, the amount of deer that go through there could be zero, could be two bucks. It's a, it's a low density place. So it's never a lot. But if you break it down into like three day chunks, there's always somebody going through there Yeah, uh, in the daylight and, and a lot of times in the middle of the day. And so it's not, it's not maybe directionally actionable to me tomorrow mm-hmm. to go in there. Mm-hmm. But when you do stuff like that, you go, okay, there is a window here where I better get my butt in a tree and be there as much as I can, because today might not be the day, you know? Tomorrow it might not be the day, but if I give it three full days or four full days here, it's probably going to happen. And man, it is so much easier to tolerate those dead days yeah. when you, when you have that faith. Yep. I mean, that, that stuff matters. Right. So, and uh, to kind of backtrack one last thing story with regarding that hunt that morning where I was the night prior uh, the, the big nine that I've been after the last two years. And he's kind of one of those bucks that are like, if I was given the chance, yeah, no doubt about it. I'm shooting him. Uh, but if another good eight, seven point steps out, I'm also shooting that buck. Right. So it's not like I'm holding out for that one buck that neck, that morning of all that chaos was going on exactly where I was. Uh, I didn't get the camera cause it's not my camera. My dad sends me the photo. Cause again, he wasn't hunting that day. He was up here tailgating with my sister for her last year for Penn state football. He goes, look what just walked by where you were yesterday. And it was that big night at like eight forty something in the morning. And I was just like, dude, he was only 300 yards away, <laughs> you know, just on that other oh. side. It's just so, you know, it, you could look at that so many different ways. Like in the heat of the moment, I was like, wow, I can't believe that. But then the other heat of the moment, I was thinking today's a good day, right? Like I had all this action yeah. already. And then this bucks on his feet. It could happen, you know. He, he, I'm in the right spot, so just something else I wanted to to toss in there of 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 that. Um, you know, kind of before we wrap things up, Tony, what what's been your most successful time frame of killing bucks? Uh, I probably the first week of any season. Yeah. I'm I'm better at the early season stuff than the rut yeah. hunts, you know. And I, I yeah. think that's just growing up in Minnesota and not hunting the rut. You know, I mean, we, we have a gun season this year that opens on November 4th. And so we will have a huge influx of people the weekend before, which is that last week in October when it should be just banging, but you'll get so many people in the woods looking around and, you know, setting stands and whatever. And then you have a massive influx of people in that Friday. And so, you know, on November 3rd, so my thing, you know, growing up, having to give up the woods to the, to the gun hunters, you know, it was just like, you better figure out the September, October thing. And 
I just love, I mean, I, I like the rut a lot. Like I just enjoy being in a tree and I, I like sitting all day. Like I like when I have a day where I'm like, all I'm going to do is go sit in a tree, yeah. you know, and I have this stand or that stand <laughs> or whatever. Like I love it, you know, yep. but the, the scouting thing in the summer and immediate preseason and seeing how things shake out when they go hard antlered or, you know, if you're out West and you can still work them in velvet, I just love you know, you can lay eyes on them and try to get in there on them or, you know, figure out something in the morning that people aren't going to do right? and come in the back way and just catch them coming back to bed. It's just, it it. just does, it does something for me, man. I just, I love it, you know, and I, and I've, I've really gotten to the point where I've learned to love that, that October timeframe we were talking about too, in early October, just because I don't, I'm getting old, man. I don't want to be around people. <laughs> like I, I told my wife, I'm like, I, I can feel my tolerance for just like stupidity people. going down. Dude, it's just, it's just, just the, the, uh, you know, being in like proximity to people in any way, shape or form. Like, I don't want it. I want to be, you know, there's, there's like eight people in the world. I like, you know, yep. two of them are my kids, whatever. <laughs> but when I'm hunting, I just don't, you know how it is. Like you, yep. you hear that four wheeler puttering down the trail or like that guy that walks in on you, that's got every trick in the book and he has no clue how to hunt. I just want to be away from that. If I can, I yep. want to go into the woods and just experience whatever, whatever nature is going to give me. Maybe I kill a big buck. Maybe I blank. I don't, whatever. I just don't want to have a ton of influence of people right there in that moment. And so I've really come to like, you know, you're going to deal with crowds in the, the early season, the opener type stuff, but you get into the season just a little bit and you still have that opening or not opening, but early season kind of hunt, but fewer people to contend with a lot of times. And man, yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. So last question we, you, we talked about earlier, we mentioned the whole October 15th through the 25th things, you know, it's a very underrated time frame. Very good. What do you think makes that a very underrated time frame? Or why? I have or, some theories. Or, yeah, <laughs> I, ha, I I have a theory. So this is probably going to sound super dumb. I've never, I never, I didn't figure out scrapes very well. I'm not a big scrape hunter. I like rubs a lot. Okay, but I ended up killing a buck here uh, on some public land in the Twin Cities in 2000, and I think it was 2011, and I killed that buck on like October 13th on a scrape, and I saw. I had gone in and done some observation uh, the night before. I saw this buck make this scrape. I saw him spar with another little buck. And, you know, and this is in the suburbs, man. Like, this is this yeah. is a place that gets hunted, you know? And so I went in the next day, set up over that scrape, and I killed that buck on that scrape. And I was just, it like, a door opened for me where it was like, you've been missing this. You've been hunting scrapes during November when they're not the same thing. Like, I felt like that hunt and killing that buck just like it made something like cohesive happen in my brain where I was like, okay, you've got to pay more attention to this. Cause then I started thinking back and I had a, I had a hunt one time I was probably mid twenties and I was up in Northern Minnesota and I had two bucks coming through the woods and one was a little guy and one was a pretty decent buck for, for there. Mm-hmm. And they're working toward me and those bucks are just making scrapes. And this was October 20th. They ended up coming and I missed that buck, fell apart, buck fever. But I remember thinking like, I, you know, I can hunt a whole season and not see a buck make a scrape. 
and I just watched two make several. Right. And it was it wasn't like they were coming back to visit them. You know, it wasn't like it was like good licking branches and like a community scrape. It was just like I got a scrape, I got to pee in this. And so I started thinking back to my encounters on scrapes and that that time frame. I think there's a real like a something going on with the hierarchy of deer then, or there's a real communication aspect that's happening then that we don't give it enough credit for. And I think it gets deer on their feet and looking and it gets new deer coming in and there's something going on way like pre pre rut, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. not Halloween. That's not the 29th, Mm -hmm. but there's a communication thing. There's a dominance hierarchy thing going on where they're saying something to each other and it matters. Right. And that's getting them moving. And I think, I think there's a, that's like a big component of it that we don't really understand. And it just kind of coincides with a lot of people taking a break from being in the woods. So you get two things working for you there. And I just, it's on, man. I mean, they're, they get risks. They like, they take risks then. Oh man, I'm excited. (laughs) That's awesome. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Tony, I appreciate your time, your wisdom. Like I said, I, I was, I look forward to this one and I always enjoy listening to you and just hearing the, uh, you know, you and your friends, the the seven, eight people that you do like that uh, out of the, besides your your daughters, I love hearing that. So um, it, best of luck to you this year. Everybody, please go follow Tony if you're already not doing so. Just an awesome down-to-earth guy, knows what he's doing, knows what he's talking about, and just, uh, just an all-around great guy. So thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Tony, thank you. Thank you, man. Antler up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please go check us out on our Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Go Wild, and at antlerupoutdoors.com. If you enjoyed this episode, go leave a review and subscribe for next week's episode. Until then, Antler Up.